with the dramatic rise of SaaS, the dramatic rise of cloud, we've gotten so accustomed to delivering software in that way, meaning we can just willy-nilly update our SaaS products, deploy it as needed, and everybody gets the update. And great, right? Especially from a security perspective, but also great from a, a product feature perspective. And, and the opinion I put forth, which is we've forgotten that how enterprises manage software. If you're lucky, you have an SBOM, and the SBOM could provide you version and software, and you can kind of match on it from a human perspective and say, safe, not safe kind of thing. Because everyone talks about patch regularly. Everyone just patch regularly. Okay, but how do you patch regularly when you've got software running on different environments, using different systems, using different tools, and not break everything? <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Security Repo Podcast. One of the many advantages of the cloud revolution is that SaaS products are continuously updated. And security issues are patched quickly and it's really something that the consumers are less concerned about today. But what about enterprise products? How do you get that same level of update efficiency and security on large on-premise products? This is a topic that we're going to cover in this episode with the crew from Replicated as Andrew Storms, VP of Security, and Ian Zink, Senior Developer Advocate, dive into this very complex but very important topic. Both of these guys have great credentials to talk about these issues. Andrew Storms is a VP of Security at Replicated, and previously, Storms was a Senior Director of Security Products for Copado and the VP of Security Services for Research at New Context. For 30 years, he's been responsible for defining and enforcing security programs for numerous security companies. Andrew has also led initiatives with Electrical Utilities and the Department of Energy to research methods for automated cybersecurity threat detection and response for industrial control systems. Andrew was also heavily involved in creating the STIX standard that stands for Structured Threat Information Expression. Storm's commentary on IT security and issues has appeared on CNBC, Forbes, The New York Times, and many other publications. In addition, he is a CISSP member of InfraGuard and a graduate of the FBI Citizens Academy. Ian Zink is also very qualified to talk about this and is a man that has many talents and a lot of humor. He's been a full-stack developer for three advanced neural networks. He has ideas by the many and not by the few. Once, he lit a fire with gasoline and lived to regret it. And he even wrote a program once and compiled it on the first time. That's a developer joke for all you security people listening. He dreams in YAML and also has 20 years doing infrastructure, performance and availability engineering, app development, CICD, software engineering, consultancy, and developer advocacy. It's an awesome episode, and I can't wait to get into it. So without further ado, here's Scaling Enterprise Software with the team at Replicated. You're both from Replicated. Um, and if you take a second to look at the Replicated website, uh, it, it says secure everything. Uh, it's a very broad subject, <laughs> a very broad uh, goal and mission. So could you just give us a really quick, super high level, like what is Replicated doing and what do you mean by secure everything? I, 
I think too, it's also a very ambitious goal, but you know, not a bad goal. Uh, and you know, and this terms actually were kind of a play on the movie at the time, which was um, everything everywhere all at once, I, I think was the, the movie that, that won the Oscar, right? Um, but I think what's appropriate is a little bit of an origin story with respect to replicated. So the company was founded by Mark Campbell and Grant Miller back in 2014. And how they came to the concept of what Replicated does is they started another company called Look.io back in 2011, I think it was. They were acquired by a live person and they stayed on as part of the executive management team. And, and, and during their tenure there, they continued to see a recurring pattern. Now, live person was a company that sold to large enterprises. And as we all know, we sell to large enterprises. Every enterprise has their own unique kind of special request. And, and in their case, the pattern that they continued to see was the customer saying, I'll buy, but I want it, say, SaaS, but single tenant. Or I'll buy, but I want it running in my kind of quote unquote cloud environment or even on my bare metal kind of thing. And at the time, they had to make a decision. Do I want to invest in research or engineering dollars to make that happen and, and close the deal or, or let it go? Uh, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit and both of them looked at that and said, problem equals opportunity. And hence, we got to the concept uh, of replicated, which really what the core concept of replicated allows our customers who are vendors selling products to do is essentially repackage and distribute their software so they can work on any premise, whether that's, say, be their own VPC inside Amazon or something similar to Google or even, believe it or not, with their own data centers. Right? Um, and so going back to your original kind of question there, Dwayne, which is like, what do we mean by the secure everything and everywhere? And I think really it's because we have a duty. And as kind of that last mile or even kind of as that um, kind of app store in a way of our vendor products that we have a duty to do everything that we can to help them support security within their product lifecycle. And because we are kind of that last mile, you know, we need to, we need to really take that to heart. And so what, what we mean by this is, yes, we really do take security and compliance and everything to heart and everything we do, whether that's us within the kind of the corporate infrastructure networks, whether that's in our product development practices or whether that's even security features uh, within the product itself. Um, we have room to go, believe me, um, but we're always striving to improve you know, those tools and our security within the company. You know, looking into Replicated, and, and I must confess at GeekGuardian, we're Replicated customers. So we have a, a small uh, peek behind the window, a little bit about what you do, but uh, the audience probably doesn't. One of the main things is that uh, you're solving the the issue of kind of outdated software, but there's kind of a, a catch here. It's outdated software, but particularly in kind of large enterprise environments. So I wanted to maybe ask and ask you to, to dive into a little bit. Why why is this such a problem? Because, you know, we're familiar with updating software. It doesn't seem that hard. Why is that such a difficult problem to solve when we get into the enterprise level, when we get into this, and can you talk about how Replicated can kind of help there? Um, I'll take the opinion piece, piece first, and I'll let Ian also chime in on you know functionality and so forth. Um, I think so. The, my opinion is 
with the dramatic rise of SaaS, the dramatic rise of cloud, we've gotten so accustomed to delivering software in that way, meaning we can just willy-nilly update our SaaS products, deploy it as needed, and everybody gets the update. And great, right? Especially from a security perspective, but also great from a, a product feature perspective. And, and the opinion I, I put forth, which is we've forgotten the, how enterprises manage software, which is different than you know, the SaaS environment, where they're going to have their own unique specific requirements, whether that's, say, testing it through their internal testing systems, whether it's how they roll it out internally. And, and there's going to be that gap. And the gap is vendor creates software, they release it, they, maybe they cut the release, they then make it available. And at that point in time, you're kind of hoping and waiting for your enterprise customers to take the release and update it. And, and again, from the security viewpoint, which is really my viewpoint here is, um, you want them to take it often because that could have security implications or could have fixes in there because it reflects back poorly on you as the vendor if all your enterprises are running outdated, insecure software. Um, Ian, you as well, I think, should chime in on this one. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think there's a number of things that we do that are really great for keeping outdated software up to date, and we've really put a lot of effort into it recently. Um, one of the biggest ones is we've been rolling out this new feature called Instant Insights that lets you know that you're having trouble with your customers running old software, software that has CVEs. And uh, we've been trying to now roll that out so that folks that are even on Helm can use some of that telemetry to see, hey, I have customers that are old, you know, running old things or they're running versions behind, so I need to follow up with them. I need a notification that I have a very important customer that is now, you know, a major version or, you know, five patches or whatever that particular condition is. Um, so I think that's one of the most important things that we're doing there as far as like, you have to know you have a problem first. Um, there's other things that we're doing to help with that. And uh, another one is trust. So a lot of times vendors start falling behind on their software because they don't trust you. They think I've, I've updated my software before and it's failed. And so I'm not going to update anymore. And uh, we're rolling out um, uh, a, a product called Compatibility Matrix that will let you test against all these customer-like environments for uh, many different uh, Kubernetes distributions, you know, EKS um, and Kind being a couple ones. Uh, and uh, I, I know OpenShift uh, also coming up. So which will be, you know, ones that typically often uh, can be a little bit different. So uh, letting, letting, knowing that every commit that you're keeping your software working and upgradable uh, is, is another big thing we're doing. And um, another feature we have is pre-flight checks. So whenever someone goes to upgrade or they go to install, verifying that's actually going to be successful, making sure there's enough disk space, enough CPU, enough nodes, um, really helps with keeping with people keeping their software up to date, which solves the CVEs, which is really, I, I believe, one of the most fundamental security problems is keeping up to date. And it, it's really interesting that there's this 
um, from a security standpoint, right? There's this really uh, give and take for keeping up to date, right? Often it is the security teams that are slowing down the adoption, right? Because they have they have a lot of processes and a lot of checklists, and they want to make sure that all these things are followed. Strict change management, and that can actually lead to slower adoption. So it's it's a I think by building trust with the security teams that these things are going to work and working in those frameworks, it replicated can really help a lot. So, yeah, one of the big pieces that we think about a lot is, you know, what are the components in that, you know, software supply chain? And that's something that you're tackling as well. Um, I mean, that's part of the trust ladder there. And you're right. Security is like, well, we have to make sure we know what's in it. We have to make sure we know what breaks, uh, all the implications there. but the big term we've heard over the last year is S-bombs. S-bombs in and of themselves are just grocery lists or laundry lists of ingredients. Um, but that's leading to, and that's what I've always heard, <clears throat> leading to the next evolutionary step, which is VEX or V-E-X. Um, and that's something I see you all helping with out there. So for those of us at home, why don't you give us your definition of VEX and why people need to care? Yeah, um, and, and I'll double down on, on what you said first about SBOM, which is you usually as enterprise, you receive really just kind of opaque installer and you really don't know what's in there. Unless, one, unless you ask, and two, if the vendor is going to tell you what's in there. And from a security perspective, you're you're wondering, and can I scan it? Does it have vulnerabilities? When was the last updated? What versions of this? You might have legal implications, like I can't use certain um crypto algorithms that aren't exportable, you know, th things like that, that it just all comes to you as this big giant um, opaque blob, if you would. And and like you said, SBOM is that, it's kind of like the recipe, all the contents that's in this blob to, to let you know you're using this software with this version kind of thing. Fantastic, right? And so that's that kind of solves the first problem of, now I know what I'm running. And then along comes, you guessed it, a vulnerability because they happen and they get released you know, every day. Um, and from a security perspective, we then begin to ask ourselves, within my giant enterprise, am I vulnerable to this one CVE that was announced today? And so you, you begin to look at, well, where's all my software? Okay, now you've found your software. Now I need to ask, is that piece of software vulnerable to it? If you're lucky, you have an S-bomb, and the S-bomb could provide you version and software, and you can kind of match on it from a human perspective and say, safe, not safe kind of thing. What VAX does is it helps you solve that and bring that time down significantly through machine-readable um, packages, if you would. And essentially, what VAX, and while it works well with S-bomb, it doesn't have to necessarily work with S-bomb. It is a document in machine-readable format that says piece of software, version, and then status. And status is usually things like, I attest to I am vulnerable, or I can attest to I'm not vulnerable, or you know, um, not reachable could be an, another status. Like, yeah, like I'm running that vulnerable software that's affected, but there's no way anybody could reach it or execute it. So you should be aware it's there, but it's kind of safe in a way. Um, and that really helps bring down that that time to discovery to the time to action, you know, in, incredibly. The other great thing about VEX is that it's not a one-time thing, meaning you can deliver your VEX for your, your product that says, 
yes, maybe I am vulnerable. And then once you patch it, you can then update it. And then there's this history that says, was vulnerable, now not vulnerable. And to fix it, you need to upgrade to this version over here. So um, like I said, it's just not a one-time thing. It, I'm really looking forward to VEX being more widely adopted. I think it's going to take a while. Certainly, SBOM has been around for a number of years and it hasn't been hugely adopted. And so today we're really on just really open VEX is one project that's, um, that's out there today, which is probably the most popular use of VEX. Uh, and there really still isn't a lot of people using it, but you know, from the replicated perspective, if we can help our vendors publish, create and publish SBOMs as well as VEX, then we've really helped them as well deliver what we were just talking about, a, you know, a better sense of trust, you know, with their enterprise customers. Ho hopefully that helps. It's kind of glanced over a lot of what VEX is. Yeah. I really like what you said there. Uh, reduce that time from the time of discovery to time to action. Uh, it, yeah, that's the the one takeaway I keep hearing is like it helps you actually react to those real time near real time events. New vulnerability pops up. What do I do now? I got to go search my SPOMs. No, I just look at the VEX. Now I know instantly. Yeah, yeah. I I can't tell you how many times say OpenSSL has has been patched, and I'm busy emailing all of my vendors are busy email or getting on their support channels or emailing sales, you know, the support teams and, and hoping. And meanwhile, I'm over here having all my hands on keyboard staff trying to figure it out for themselves. Like maybe they've pulled the proof of concept maybe they're executing it against the non-production instance to see if, if it works, you know? Um, and really I would just want the vendors to tell me right off the bat, yes or no, what do I need to do? Just get to the action part. Yeah. It's it's really interesting. And you can you can see how uh, you can see how this is starting to all come together. You know, there's ridiculous figures that you will probably know better than me, but something like, you know, eighty percent of uh, the exploited vulnerabilities had a or ninety percent, you know, had a that a vulnerable packages had a non vulnerable update attached to them, but that no one had taken it. So when you add this together, you've kind of, you've got the S-bomb, you've got the VEX to let you know what you're actually vulnerable to, what to take action. And now there's a way to actually update it because everyone talks about patch regularly. Everyone just patch regularly. Okay, but how do you patch regularly when you've got software running on different environments, using different systems, using different tools and not break everything <laughs> whilst doing this regularly you know like this is and i think this is what people get frustrated with because a, a lot of people get on their soapboxes and i look i love a soapbox that's why i started a podcast you know just to say hey all you need to do is patch regularly problem solved and then you get into this enterprise environment so you're like okay how how tell me how yeah or, or your patch window is is maybe on a specific cadence. Maybe you're only allowed to patch once a month or once a quarter, um, just because updates can occur downtime and the business can't afford the downtime thing. And, and that's always a competing problem with, within companies where you have security saying patch now all the time. You might have the operations team say, no, 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 I have to have 100% uptime or, or I'm not gonna get my bonus this quarter. And, and that fight happens. And so there needs to be, and granted, that's a kind of a social um, 
cultural thing that does need to, some help, but there's also the tools side. And I think things like SBOM and VEX will help to kind of bring those two conflicting you know, requirements together to make things better. <clears throat> I haven't gotten into VEX that much. Can, uh, and as you were describing it, I was trying to kind of place out in my mind, what exactly is the relationship between the SBOM and VEX? So I, I, first of all, you should know that they, they both don't have to exist. You can have one w without the other, but they do love to work with each other, obviously, right? Um, the relationship, if there is one, is really in the specific content of either one where you'll have like a unique identifier that's kind of ties back to say the software and the version. And then over here in, in VEX land, you can then point back and say, hey, this unique identifier, which represents this piece of software with this library and this version in VEX land, I'm going to simply tell you vulnerable kind of thing. It can be that simple. Um, two or three data points, right? As explained to me by someone from Cloud Native Security uh, at the Cloud Native Security Conference um, was SBOMs have always just been a stepping stone to get the formulation right of how do things are packaged together. VEX was the eventual goal of like, how do we take the standardized form and make something useful out of it? So as everyone ran around for a better part of a year saying, how do we make SBOMs? How do we make SBOMs? The, leaders out there were really saying, well, how are we going to use those SBOMs to actually build something useful like VEX? And that's what we're seeing people like you yourself doing. If I understand correctly, because uh, I'm a bit like Ian here, I'm, I'm just trying to pretend I know what everyone's talking about, but that's uh, what I do for most of my job. But you know, an SBOM will kind of let you know what components you have in there. And if you add in some uh, analysis, you can, you can know which of those components may have vulnerabilities. And a VEX will let you know which of those vulnerabilities will actually affect you? And is that is that is that am I right in kind of making that? Yeah, I think that I think that's a way to look at it. I also think that the, the SBOM doesn't necessarily have to say its status in terms of vulnerable or not. It's more literally the recipe. So that's and that's the classic case is we always talk about. You're baking a cake. The SBOM for the cake is the flour, the milk, the butter. You know that kind of stuff, right? Um, but the VEX maybe in, in the kind of that food analogy might tell you um, the milk you bought um, had a recall for some reason, right? And so now when you go to the refrigerator, okay, pull the milk and then let me check my VEX list. Oh, the, the production numbers match. This is bad milk. I better go, you know, go back to the store and get you know, milk that's not bad kind of thing. That's kind of a poor analogy, but hopefully that helps a little bit. And this is a really good one, honestly. This is maybe a blog post in the making. Um, uh, SBOM can tell you if the milk's expired, like if it's a very old version that you probably shouldn't be running anymore, um, or if the milk has been, a VEX will tell you if it's been recalled by the manufacturer. I really like that analogy. I think that's solid. Will it also tell you if, hey, the milk's been, we repasteurized it, so it's fine like, or we've, we've boxed it in some way such that, you know, we're, we're not using, you know, a particular uh, vulnerable section of the milk. So you're actually okay. Like the AI, like, like maybe for example, it was packaged in a different container, like one of those clear plastic ones versus say like a carton kind of thing. I, I guess you could say that. 
Um, I think too, we could take it one step further and say, <laughs> we're having fun with this, right? <laughs> I've got one too, but I don't know. I don't know how long we can keep going with this. Like I think an hour. You, you, you Vex could say, Hey, it's a bad batch. And then they, and then the milk producer runs more tests and figures out it's not a bad batch. We, we got it wrong. And so they can then deliver a new Vex that says, whoops, we were wrong. It's actually not vulnerable anymore. What about what about this? I got one more, one more. All right, you got bad bad milk. <laughs> Can the vex? But I'm using it in a recipe to bake cookies, in which the milk is getting boiled. Could the vex tell me that I don't need to worry about it because I'm boiling the milk, but I can't, I shouldn't drink it straight? Yeah, I guess that would be kind of in the re- that reachability state of like we we know it's bad, but it's you can't ever reach it kind of thing. Yeah. All right, we need to we need to get off milk now. <laughs> I never thought in a, in a security episode we'd be talking so much about dairy products. <laughs> As someone who's very lactose intolerant, like I just don't, I just don't drink milk, and my, my problem solves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just don't uh, don't use third party libraries, and you have no software issues. There you go. Um, all right, I'm, I'm going to change the subject now, but it's still it's still along the same lines. But hopefully, we can get away from milk. Now we've actually just uh, when we're recording this today. Today's episode of this podcast is with ChainGuard. Um, so I've got ChainGuard in my mind and signing things. And I know that you guys have actually partnered up a little bit with ChainGuard and started working together. Um, maybe you could expand on some of the initiatives that you're doing with ChainGuard and, and how that's kind of helping supply uh, uh, basically what, what we've just been talking about. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I think, like we said earlier, everybody's got vulnerabilities. It, it's going to happen. You're never going to get around it. The part of the problem with kind of the business that we're in, which is not necessarily unique to, to our business, but happens to everybody, which is you need to patch often. You need to update things. And one of the areas that I looked into for enha- enhancements within our product line was ask the question, why are we spending all this time you know, patching third-party CVEs, like everybody patches third-party CVEs like crazy. Given that we're just not distributing our software, but we're helping all of our vendors distribute, you know, their software too. So we ought to do everything we can to ensure everything's secure, everything all at once, right? Going back going back to that analogy. Um, and so, you know, I looked at, there are a number of options, you know, some are not always good, such as like always taking the latest. Well, you want to make sure that you test before you, you take the latest. Um, but what ChainGuard does is kind of takes me back to my, my childhood in a way, or maybe not childhood, but first kind of jobs as a sysadmin, which was, you know, you had to, um, you had to build your own kernels. And I was a big OpenBSD and I was a Solaris person, AIX kind of stuff. And we were always on that mindset of when you compile that kernel, you pull out everything possible that you're not going to need. Or when you, you compile the, the user land binaries, you pull everything out that you're not going to need. Because not only was it faster and slimmer, but, you know, it was more secure, you know, less um, uh, surface area to attack. Right. And what ChainGuard, and I'm not going to give, you know, their origin story necessarily, but one of the things they came out with, which is called the undistro uh, image or distroless image, and those are the Wolfie images. And it's essentially a really, really slimmed down image that, that you can take and use where it's not going to have all the extras that might have potential security problems you know, in the future. And, you know, I talked to 
talk to them and it turns out that ChainGuard has a commercial product where they will do what's called build your own custom image for you under their existing SLAs and guides. And, and those are things like they rebuild the image nightly. They will make sure there's no CVEs in there. They'll patch everything. They'll pull the VEX feeds. They'll generate the S-bombs for you. And so what, what we've begun to do throughout Replicated, um, we're first starting with the COTS product, is all of our software where we're distributing it with an image, those images will now be chain guard images. So you're going to be guaranteed you know, the best, the smallest, the you know the least amount of stuff on it you know and the most secure so they're they're doing things like patching cves for us and all those third-party you know libraries and um we you know we're certainly on the journey together meaning we're an early customer of jengard we saw the value very early on um and we have what's called the the new cots image you know that's been chain guarded quote unquote and we're working with that today and, and doing some tests internally and, and with our customers. We, we really want to make sure that when we do the full switch over to delivering COTS with ChainGuard, that it's not going to break anything, right? Um, we, we can't take that, that risk. And so we're still in that phase of, you know, completing the last bits of the testing and the integration phase. Um, you know, in terms of, of partnership per se, we have a lot of similar customers. And, and so what, what we do with ChainGuard really helps ChainGuard and certainly in in reverse too. So yourselves as a customer of Replicated will begin to receive, um, you, you know, when you go and pull down COTS, you'll notice that it has a new image in the distribution. It's it's not the one that we built necessarily, or it's not necessarily the one we took from Docker Hub, for example. It's it's going to be, you know, the new ChainGuard COTS image. But definitely we can trust it. That's the that's the underlying premise here. <laughs> yeah, and, and going back to the whole supply chain thing, right? And, and S bombs is there will be an attestation that comes along with it that says this is exactly what's in it, and that's your S bomb. And on top of that, they'll they're going to start delivering vex feeds of everything in their images as well. And so we layer on top of that what Replicated can do to help our vendors create the S bombs and create the vex you're going to get that full chain all the way back as far as we, you know, we can deliver of that supply chain where you can say, I trust this thing that came from the vendor on top of underneath that is replicated on underneath that is the chain guard thing. So we we're doing our best to really shore up all that supply chain problems that we continue to read and hear about. Yeah. I think it's exciting to think with what we're doing with chain guard too, how it's just going to unlock some things um, like the higher levels of salsa attestation so that we can um as as those requirements get more stringent from customers and governments that we'll be able to meet them and so that'll be pretty cool yeah i am really looking forward to that it's also like level one today is not necessarily difficult to to meet it's more about an attestation it's kind of almost like a self-assessment questionnaire that that you're delivering of like this is how my product's built. This is everything that's involved. And, and when you want to go beyond that, you really then have to start attesting to the security and the integrity of the entire development process, software plus images and the entire supply chain. So there aren't a lot of companies today able to say that they can reach Salsa Level 3. And I think when we get fully integrated here with ChainGuard and when they start delivering their Salsa higher levels later in the year, we'll be able to... Um, 
piggyback on top of that as well. I do want to switch it up a little bit because we only have so much time with you. And there are a couple other things that we wanted to ask you. Uh, one, uh, the, the one of the biggest ones from my mind, you know, Mac and I are both uh, uh, speakers at a lot of different events. And you all host your own regularly occurring event, uh, which I love the name, Replicon. Uh, I love that as a, a virtual event that you host. Um, could you just give it a quick high level on what is Replicon and why might someone that tuned into this program tune into your uh, tune into your channel? Sure. <clears throat> so Replicon is our like as you said, it's our quarterly conference, and uh, we try to give our customers on a quarterly basis an update of everything that's happening within our own ecosystem, but also more broadly. Um, we, we've had some non-customers, at least not customers yet, on and actually had some really fascinating talks with them. If you're interested in software distribution at all, uh, we have a lot of great talks um, where we, we, we bring up the topics of what does it mean to distribute software and what kind of um, tech processes and technologies can make that successful. Super cool. And for anyone that's interested in uh, joining Replicon, there's going to be links in the show notes below. Uh, so make sure that you check that out. Now, we're, we're actually starting to run out uh, a little bit of time. But before we get going, I do like to play uh, a, a quick game with people called Best and Worst, because uh, I like to uh, compile these at the end. But I'm curious to know, what is the best piece of security advice that you can give and what is the worst piece of security advice that, that, that someone's given to you or you've, you've heard? Andrew, I'll start with you. We'll start with the best and finish on the worst. Oh, the best is probably, let, let me go back to the 90s again, which was, you know, my, my boss came over to me one day and said, um, you know, what are you doing? Do you even know who your customer is? And, and I was thinking, you know, it's the people buying our end software products. And he looked at me and said, no. Your, your, your customer is the employees of this company. You need to realize you're in a role to support and to enable. And so for me, I always go back to that. The best security advice I, I give to people is realize you're not the no person. You're the enabler person. You really need to do your best to make sure the business is doing its best with security in mind. Yeah. That's good, Ian. I, I think you're, you're, you're you're gonna have to think of you're gonna have to think of one that's gonna top that. <laughs> that was very good. And, yeah, and that, that, that's a tough order, but I, I would say my uh, the, the advice that I've kind of pushed the most um, when I've been out at enterprises is if you want to be secure, move fast. And I think that's just so important for keeping yourself secure. Like you can't because there's this tendency to do the opposite. We want to be secure, so we're not going to change things. We're just going to keep things the way they are. We know how they work. But if you really want to be secure, you have to move fast. So I think that's been the best advice I've seen that enterprises, if they can really choose to adopt that into their own ethos, it can really help them. Yeah, that's great. Both great pieces of advice. And uh, yeah, let's flip the script a bit. What's something that you hear a lot in the industry, or maybe someone's told you that you just think that that is... Uh, terrible, terrible security advice. Andrew, I'm going to go back to you. Um, if you heard the phrase, you don't need to outrun the bear, you just need to outrun your friend. Um, I hate that analogy. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's some truth to it, but you know what? Just because 
you're not like the big target doesn't mean you're not a target. So you really still need to do the best things and the best you can all the time. That, that reminds me a little bit. I, I live in uh, the Netherlands and obviously, and the, the goal of the Netherlands is that you want to always make sure that someone else has a better bike at the bike rack than you, because that's how you prevent them from getting stolen. <laughs> and it's sound advice. I have never had a flash bike. Well, my daily drive is not a flash bike. Never been stolen. Um, Ian, any advice that you hear that you, you, you cringe at? Oh, that, that definitely the worst is, oh, don't worry about that app. It's behind the firewall, right? Like that one, that one doesn't need to be secure. It's it's just internal. Don't worry about that one. Um, that, that I think is the worst advice that I've heard. And I have heard it on multiple occasions where people aren't real. I, I feel like that, that kind of mentality is going away uh, over time as people get more and more used to these um, threading the needle kind of attacks, but uh, still... I, I feel like that, especially in large organizations, that that kind of mindset can be uh, persuasive. Definitely, well, I got to say, you guys gave some great, uh, great answers. I think they're all going to end up in the highlights reel at the end of the year. So, so thank you for for that. Uh, we're coming to the end of the show. Um, I'll just remind the audience again to check out uh, Replicated. They have a pretty active blog. They have webinar series and also the Replicon. So if you want to learn more about how to deliver, uh, so if you want to learn about how to securely deliver up-to-date software uh, and secure all the things all the time, then make sure you check out the resources. There will be links in the show notes. Dwayne, any final remarks before we press the big red button? Just want to say thanks again for joining us. Thanks for sharing your knowledge and coming up with some fun analogies. This has actually been a super fun episode just, just around that. And hopefully everyone at home takes something away from that conversation as well. So thanks for being here. Thanks for your invite. It's been great. Thanks for having us. Great time. <laughs>